0: Guys, welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my boy, Ryan Clark. RC, yo, every week on the UFC fight, we get like three, four promo reads. I mean, we getting all (laughs) the prime real estate, though. It is real good when I'm doing (laughs) UFC pay-per-views. Guys, coming up on today's show, we're going to recap UFC 289. Then we will list our top three Amanda Nunes moments as she hits the door and exits mixed martial arts. As the double champion, and as always, we tap in or we tap out. RC, what's up, my guy? Dog, I saw you right now getting dressed like you were getting ready for the show. You got on pants like you all dressed. Where you going?
1: First off, I have on Lululemon joggers, DC. I know they don't make these in your size, so you don't normally (laughs) get to wear these sort of joggers, but these are Lulu joggers. I actually just came from the facility training some guys, man. I'm just out here trying to work, and so you, you throw the I got work on the top and work on the bottom. Ain't no party around here, DC. But I will say this, bro. Let's talk a little bit about the main event from UFC 289 in Vancouver because who wasn't working was Irina El and I get it, DC. Sometimes you can get into those moments, and you're facing the greatest fighter of all time in female mixed martial arts, but to just not show up. And I'm not going to say no names, DC, but there was some hall of famer who said that Irina Irene El Irene could actually give Amanda Nunez fits, but I ain't saying no names. Yeah. What happens when you get into the octagon in that sort of situation and just totally lay an egg?
0: One or two things happen, RC you either get in there, one of the greatest of all time, and you just fight, or you freeze. What happened to Irene Aldana is very unfortunate. She froze, man. She froze, and what what's the worst part about her freezing was that when she threw early, she hurt Amanda. She hurt Amanda very early, and you could tell that if she could hit her, she could hurt her. But she never quite gave herself a chance. It was it was it was it's hard to watch too, because when you're 35, and you've worked so long to get to that position, you don't know that you'll get back, right? Mm -hmm. So many things had to fall into place for her to find herself there in the first place. Juliana had to pull out. She was able to get there on a two-fight win streak. You don't know how long it's going to take her to get back into that position. So it's unfortunate for a young fighter. So I kind of feel bad for her, bro, because we were all hard on her. But I I talked to Dana in the octagon afterwards, he goes, DC, she was just outmatched. He goes. She was outmatched. I know what you were saying. She goes. I know. He goes. I know what you guys are thinking. He goes. But I think she was just outmatched.
1: But DC, I, I was going to ask you. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you though. How much does that play a part in it? Like she was just on a two-fight win streak. I believe she had won five out of seven fights. She was the number fifth, number five ranked fighter. In the weight class, it wasn't like she was Alexa Grasso or she was Juliana Pena, where Juliana, when she was, where she got her opportunity first against Amanda Nunes, she was outmatched. She was outclassed. She was outskilled, outpowered. She is a striker. She's a boxer fighting uh, the woman with the most power that we've ever seen in that weight class. And so I think that that's just what it is, that sometimes when the 40th-ranked college football team is playing the Alabama Crimson Tide, you get blown out. That's blown what out. happens. And yep. I believe there was just a total different in, difference in class of these two fighters. When you look at how Elrina Eldania fought, it almost gives you the sort of perception afterwards that we don't really have to go into what happened inside the octagon. But what happened inside the octagon after the fight is what the story is truly about. Double champ forever. She kisses John Anik on the head. (laughs) She lays both belts in the middle of the octagon, gets her gloves cut off, kisses the mat, and starts to cry, DC. When you're standing next to Amanda Nunes for that monumental moment What's going through your head, and what do you think about the greatest fighter in mixed martial arts histories as it pertains to females?
0: You know, RC, that's one thing that I appreciate about the job. Because now I have been able to stand in the octagon with a number of fighters as they say their farewells. And, but none like Amanda, right? I was there when Joanna Young JCek got beat by Zhang Weili and stepped away. And I felt the admiration and the love coming from the crowd. I was there in Kansas City when Zach Cummings retired. And because he was home, it felt right, right? As did his opponent. They all retired. And I felt like, wow, man, for me to be standing here next to this person as they say their farewells, it really is special. And I'm in my mind trying to think, how do you do justice to these people in their careers? I'm in there with Amanda Nunes, and I know that there's nothing I can say that's going to uh, do justice to her career. So for me, it's just I'm wallpaper, RC. I'm the guy with the microphone. I give it to her. I don't ask questions. I just let her talk. She reaches back for the microphone. You take it back. You're the queen. This is the greatest female fighter we have ever seen in in our entire life. And she was showered with love by the Canadian fans. It was it was it was it was great to see Ryan, but it was also sad at the same time. Because Amanda Nunes became someone that you could always rely on to go and headline a card. You would always rely on her to fight whoever they said she had to fight. And you always knew that when she was locked into that octagon, something explosive was at your fingertips. Did it always happen? No. But it was always a possibility with Amanda Nunes. And I believe that is what really separated her from everyone else in the two divisions that she ruled for so long. R.C., this woman held that belt for seven years when she retired. Seven years as the Bantamweight champion uh, before she she walked away from the octagon. It truly was something special.
1: D.C., you know, I am lucky. I get to sit with you every single week and talk about the UFC. Not many people get those opportunities, but someone – like yourself, I understand how I revere you, how much I admired you before we became friends and also colleagues, but how much I admire you now. I know what you had to put into it in order to become as great as you did. And Amanda Nunes had that sort of feeling plus some. Amanda Nunes actually appealed to the non-UFC fan. I remember being in Atlanta. I was leaving a wedding reception. My wife and I... We're sitting in the hotel when Juliana Pena beat Amanda Nunes. And my wife doesn't pay attention to a lot of the fights if we aren't there. And she goes, oh, my God, I can't believe she lost. Amanda Nunes always gave you the feeling not only that something dynamic could happen, but that there was no way she would walk out of the octagon and not have her hand raised As the winner. And so I think when someone reaches that plateau or when someone reaches that peak, there really is no higher you can go. There really is no other compliment that you could give to someone like Amanda Nunes that could truly do justice to what her career is. I do have a question for you, DC. In the post in the post fight presser, she said she knew as soon as she signed the contract to fight Arene Areneo that that was going to be her last fight. That there wasn't going to be a fight after this. There would be no trilogy, third fight against Juliana Pena. We also saw you fight your last fight at the top. You were fighting Stepe Miocic for the for the heavyweight championship of the entire world. Going into a fight, knowing that you may, or in Amanda Nunes' case, that you are going to retire, how does that affect your preparation? And how does it affect you during the fight to know something like that is looming once the bell finally rings?
0: Before I I answer this, all the same things you said about me and the respect, I feel the same for you because we come from the same place, man. It's not easy to accomplish the things that both of us did. So I, I don't like whenever you know you give me compliments. But in reality, I, <laughs> man,
1: accept the compliments,
0: I, man. <laughs> I really do hold you in the same regard in regards to your career. Um, now, to Amanda Nunez, it's difficult in in it meaning when you know what's on the other side. But for Amanda Nunez, what's on the other side is just relaxing. It's not commentary and all these other things that I do. So to look forward to a day where your mother doesn't have to worry anymore. Because Amanda said that played a big part in her decision. To look forward to a day where Nina, after she has the next baby, could consider coming back and fighting, and then you get to play that part to her, opposed to her playing that part to you. Those are all things that led the GOAT to walking away from mixed martial arts. She really did overachieve, Ryan, because... As we talk about each other in the, the trials and the struggles that you and I went through, Amanda goes, I'm just a kid from some place in Brazil that no one had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And look at what I did. She became a beacon for hope for so many women around the world to go accomplish something bigger than themselves. I remember one fight, Amanda Nunes was fighting, and Halle Berry was there, Serena Williams was <laughs> yeah. there, basketball players were there. I was like, Every important woman is here to Mm -hmm. watch Amanda Nunez because she became so much bigger than just a sport of mixed martial arts. She became, like I said, a light for women around the world to say, man, greatness. Ryan, remember we listed our greatest female athletes and both of us had Amanda Nunez up there. Yeah. Every other woman on that list was in the arena that night to watch Amanda Nunez compete.
1: You know what's crazy, DC, and I know the UFC doesn't have this because it truly has learned to stand alone, away from its champions or with its champions, knowing that in a second everything can change. It could go yep. from Conor McGregor being on top of the world to Habib Naimor being one of the greatest fighters fighters ever, from Charles Oliveira and his comeback story to Islam Mahatchev being a ch- so so things change so fast. And so often, you have to move on from champions and you have to move on from great fighters. I don't think that that can be said for Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is an icon. If this were the NBA and Jerry West was the logo for the league, we'd be talking about changing that logo to Amanda Nunes. That's how synonymous she became with greatness Within this sport, how synonymous she became with feeling untouchable in this sport. And I think that that's something that you won't say about many women going forward, if any, especially with the stranglehold she had on both of these weight classes. But amongst being an icon or her iconic moments, we had to do or we had to end the, the task of picking our top three Amanda Nunes moments, or at least our favorites. DC, I'll let you go first as a Hall of Famer talking about another Hall of Famer.
0: I think that we're probably going to have a lot of similar ones, but my first one was UFC 200. She beats Misha Tate to become the bantamweight champion of the world. It was her first time becoming the UFC champ and she did it in dominant fashion. Mm-hmm. Battered and bruised, Misha Tate eventually submitted her. And when the fight was over, it was almost it almost felt like uh thank god because it was only getting worse and it yes. was a horrible visual. Number 2, Ronda Rousey. When mm. she was beating Ronda Bro, it was hard Ooh. to watch. And it it really was. Once again, it felt like they were doing Ronda a favor by stopping mm-hmm. this fight, by stopping Amanda Nunes and Ronda, stopping Amanda from beating on Misha Tate. They really did help them for as much as you can help somebody losing their championship opportunities. And number one for me is the Chris Cyborg fight. Yeah, Chris Cyborg was unbeat- unbeatable. She was the most scary, dangerous one we had ever seen. And Amanda knocked her out in a round. You know, it, it really just showed you how far she had come from the girl we knew back in Strike Force to right. her early UFC career to who she is today. But you know, Amanda was stability, Ryan. That's the word. Yep. She was stability <laughs> to the UFC. And in those three performances, <laughs> hey. she showed how great she was. <laughs> Amanda was freaking dominance, bro. The the way <laughs> that
1: because the, the three names you mentioned are amazing fighters, and Amanda totally dominated them. I'm gonna go a little different. For my number three, I'm going to go with Shanna Basler. And I know that's a name that not many people know, but here's why I went with her. That was the fight after she lost to uh, Kat Zingano
0: Zingano.
1: years ago. And if you remember in that fight, she battered her with low leg kicks and she took out her left leg late in the fight and just folded her up. But the reason to me that that's one of Amanda's biggest moments or one of my favorite moments is because that led to the 12-fight win streak. That that started the win streak that made Amanda Nunez the champion we know. And I'm not going to go into these two. I went Misha Tate because that was when she won the first belt. And then Chris Cyborg, because to me, it wasn't... To me, in, in one night, here's what Amanda Nunez did. She won the featherweight championship and she wanted to be a meth belt for women. You know what I mean? It was was that sort of night that we knew that they ain't a lot of dudes that wanted to step inside the octagon with those two women and go toe-to-toe. And coming into the fight, you were wondering how Amanda would approach it. And, And she approached it straight down the line. Neither one of us. Or we're not getting out of this first round and whoever it is, is who it has to be. And she left victorious. But I have an honorable mention, DC. Oh, and I know this Ryan. is
0: normally... Ryan,
1: bruh. I oh. know <laughs> this is normally what you do, but for honorable mention, in my top Amanda Nunes moments is DC, mm. you breaking my heart. It's uh, when Amanda <laughs> came on the show. <laughs> it's when Amanda came on the show and you had been hating on her. Week after week after week I, I think you called her washed up. I think no, you were I like didn't. I think no, you were I like didn't. if a, Amanda Nunes' right hand is weak, it's it's, it's a powder puff. She lying. she has cotton in her gloves. <laughs> it was something like that, these people, that you that you kept saying and I was like, Amanda, I don't know why DC keeps treating you this way. And she was truly heartbroken, DC, Brody, that dude, you right were attacking her in the manner that you were on DC and RC. Oh, my God. Bro,
0: you've manipulated people to the point that everybody come at me when they come on this show. This ain't the first time. But all I was saying was that Juliana Pena was the toughest fight for her. And Juliana Pena on Saturday said that she was still the toughest fight for Amanda Nunes to the point that she was actually going crazy next to the octagon side. But, RC, what this does for me is very rarely – do you have someone walk away and then change his two-way classes? So Amanda tweeted, it's very cool to see the whole division excited, knowing that they might have a chance to get the vacant belt. Then she gives the, the, the emoji that kind of comes off a little bit odd. Look, man, I'm going to tell you this right now, and I don't mean to be uh, bad on Amanda, but I'll do this. And then Juliana says, I'll take that as a compliment, meaning when Amanda walked away, It was a compliment that she was not going to give her another opportunity. She said, I scared you so bad into retirement. Personally, congratulations. But professionally, what the F was that? UFC 289. So, first off, let let me do this before we move on to the thing. RC, and I I wonder if you can agree with me. I think Amanda Nunes did everything right. Obviously, she had a dominating performance. I thought the post-fight speed was beautiful. But then to go to the press conference and say, I know whoever's going to be the champion is a fake champ forever. It was not – it was – dude, we got to judge them the same, right, R.C.? We got to be fair in our praise, and if someone does something that I disagree with, I don't think she should have done that. I think you don't throw gasoline on the division as you leave it. She's the champ. She walks away as the champ, and she's good to go. You don't need to tell everybody that whoever's holding that belt – fight? I have a – What's
1: up? No, DC, I have a thought on that. Here's my thought on that. The blood between Amanda and Juliana Pena is so bad. I believe that was directly pointed at Juliana. And here's why. Here's why. You said that you thought Juliana Pena was the toughest fight for Amanda Nunes. And not only did she prove to be tough, she actually won she submitted her. And then she goes five rounds with Amanda the next time. So there's no one in this weight class, there's been no woman in either weight class to give her that sort of battle. So there has to be some level of respect there. I believe so much respect that she doesn't believe that any of these other women can beat Juliana Pena. Mm. I know she doesn't believe that Irina Eldania can beat Juliana Pena. So, Juliana Pena to me, in Amanda's mind, is going to be the next champion. Hell, so you think she she's just was. That shade just at her, yeah, she just was the champion, and I believe, at, at least a little bit, at least subconsciously, it's Amanda sending that warning shot that if Juliana Pena does sit atop the bantamweight of division, as many would expect her to get the chance to that she's a fake champion, that I went out with a win over her. But I will say this. I actually disagree, right? If Holly Holm gets it, we've already seen that. Raquel Pennington, we've already seen that with Amanda Nunes. The only person with the bragging rights right now still fighting that can say, yeah, me and Amanda Nunes head up, we are tied. It's a draw. We are neck and neck. And on top of that, I submitted her. And so I believe that it's not just throwing gasoline on the, the division is trying to throw water on Juliana Pena shine.
0: Because Juliana Pena, if she wins, gonna be riding hot. But if mm-hmm. anyone else wins that belt, and I looked at the top five and she has beaten everybody in the top five, but Aaron Blanchfield was like, I'll fight for the belt at 135. And Aaron Blanchfield, if given the opportunity, is as difficult a problem for anyone at 135. And now, if Aaron Blanchfield somehow becomes a champ. Now you got questions in regards to that. But I get what you're saying, especially if, yes, nobody has competed with me like Juliana. Juliana most likely will become the champ, and I beat her. I want her to feel that sting every day. Yes, Ryan, you successfully have changed my thought process on the Amanda Nunes quote. I agree with you there. But that also leaves this question. Yeah, I know, man. I I hate doing that. I hate really telling you that you're right. But – Here's 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 another question, another void that Amanda Nunez leaves. Who's the face of female mixed martial arts now? Valentina's not holding the title. Valentina's not holding the title anymore. Uh, Amanda's gone. Juliana Pena is not the champion. The champion is Alexa Grosso, who has the ability to be the face, but what if she loses to Valentina next? It's like... It seems like now it's going to be a bit of a revolving chair, whereas Amanda Nunes comfortably sat atop that for so long. So to you, who is the face of female mixed martial arts or who do you think will elevate themselves to that in the near future? So
1: you know what's what's crazy, DC, is that Amanda, as she continued to grow as a champion, also somehow got this personality that became – infectious, right? That you were drawn to. Uh, When she came on our show, I just couldn't, like, I could have never imagined that I just like her so much and laugh with her and vibe with her like that. So you do have to have a certain level of personality. On top of having that certain level of personality, you have to have a certain level of skill. And I know this doesn't, this may not seem like it makes sense because she doesn't have the skill of Zhang Wele or maybe a Valentina Shevchenko. She's not holding a belt like Alexa Grasso, But why wouldn't it be Juliana Pena? And here's why. She can fight. She's tough. She's been the champion before. And she can play. The heel. She could play the villain. She's a great communicator. She builds up fights amazingly. She's a trash talker. So I would pick Juliana Pena to have the chance to take the next step to be in the face of women's uh of the women's division in the UFC, not because. I think she's the best female fighter left. It's because I think that she could hold that mantle and push it forward from a personality standpoint while winning fights. But somebody who also, D.C., learned to speak English to make sure that his post-fight was everything that it needed to be was our co-main event winner, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. And D.C., I've seen a lot of elite-level fights, Right, top five matchups or number one contender matchups. I don't remember seeing one that I thought to myself, "They should have never made this fight." I don't <laughs> remember seeing one where I thought, "Wow, he's that much better than the other guy." Charles Oliveira did whatever he wanted to do to Benil Dariush. He 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 pulled guard. He was able to avoid damage. While in guard, he wanted to get up, D.C., he got up. He wanted to win the striking battle, move forward, he moved forward. He landed big strikes. The fight went to the mat, grounded pound, he's out of there. In watching this fight, D.C., how, how impressed were you with Charles Oliveira just proving to the world that it doesn't matter what happens with Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier in BMF belts. I'm the number one contender. I deserve the next shot at Islam Mahakchev.
0: I, I was very impressed. I was very impressed with, 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 with Charles because he told us all week that he was going to do that. He told us all week that he was going to get his hand raised. And Charles Oliveira was the same guy. You know, a lot of times when somebody loses or they get finished, you see him a little bit more hesitant. Not Charles Oliveira. He was the same person. Now, here's one thing that he was a little bit smarter as. He didn't just rush in and get dropped. Every other fight, he was getting dropped. He got dropped by Gaethje, dropped by Chandler, dropped by Poirier. He was just taking his time a little bit more and making sure that when he did engage, he engaged a little bit smarter than he was before. But you're right, though, Ryan. On the bottom, he was the one landing elbows and stuff from the bottom. When he got to his feet, he threw a right-hand-right-kick combo that just stunned Benil. And then once he got him hurt, we both know that if Charles Oliveira lands that left hook, you're going down. It's his best shot. He lands the left hook, drops Darius and gets on him, finishes the fight. It was one of his best performances because of what Benil had done up to that point, and because of the stakes, he was very aware of what was at stake on Saturday night because just winning wasn't going to be enough. It had to be something more. It had to be impressive because you have that BMF championship fight lingering. So you got to go and make a statement. He went out there and he made a statement over a guy that had won eight fights in a row, and he left no doubt who should be heading back to Abu Dhabi to fight Islam Makhachev. And people got a little bit dislike. like people were telling me stuff like, D.C., why would you tell Charles Oliveira what Islam said in the octagon in his post-fight? I go, because I'm trying to give him an opportunity to hear what the champ said and really make it a point to stick it to him, right? You find the sound bite, R.C. The biggest yeah. compliment Makachev could have paid him was by tweeting that immediately yeah. after his fight because essentially what he's saying, R.C., is, okay, Charles, I see you. I see you, right? Like, yeah. that's exactly what he's doing.
1: Well listen, we know that Islam is not afraid, afraid to talk a little trash. And so in him even acknowledging what Charles Oliveira did, it showed that he was paying attention and that that attention said, okay, this is going to be the next guy. Here is and I, and I don't want to pile on Benil Dariush, who just seems like an absolute sweet human. After the fight, I'm just going through it and I'm like, "Man, Why would Benil look so overmatched, a guy that's on an eight-fight winning streak? And if you go to who he was before that win streak, he was a guy that was um, 0-2-1, right, before the eight-fight win streak. And the names on the win streak that stand out are probably Drew Dober and Tony Ferguson. And so as we talk about Irene Eldania, we kind of got to talk about Benil Dariush in the same way, DC, in that watching him in this fight let me know that the levels that Islam Mahakchev tweeted about, he isn't on that level with a guy who's been in there with Justin Gaethje and stared down the barrel of him, or been in there with a the Dustin Poirier, been in there with a Michael Chandler. Charles Oliveira had to go to go through murderous row in order to get where he was. And I believe that that showed up inside the octagon against Benil Dariush.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and he, Islam said there are levels, right? All Charles really did was show that if he isn't on his level, then he's like the level right beneath him. And it's not that different. I got to tell you, man, I'm Islam's guy. And that's one of my former teammates and everything. But, in round one, Islam took Charles down, controlled him, but Charles didn't do bad on his back. He didn't take all that much damage. He had moments where he was very, very safe, and, you know, it was it was a much more competitive first round than people want to give Charles Oliveira credit for. Now, I had the opportunity to speak with Islam Mahachev about who's next amongst so many other things last week, and this is what the champion had to say.
1: Brother, I think he he don't want to fight with me because I give him always hard time. What he can do
0: the matchup, right?
1: What he can do? His grappling not working with me. I'm not scared. he's grappling, he know I can finish him again. He know I can knock him out. He know because this bad for bad match for him.
0: You know, Islam thinks that he's just a bad matchup for Charles. He feels like even though Charles goes out there and fights everyone else and beats everyone else, every time that they come together, he feels like he has the style to beat him. But that brings me to this question, RC. Is it definitive Charles Oliveira? Was that enough, right? One fight removed, finishing Benil Daryush. Is that enough to now put him at the front of the queue and make him the number one contender? I think it is, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it.
1: Well, DC, the the only way it's not the fight that puts him in the queue is if the UFC wants to make a different fight. If the UFC thinks to itself, we've seen this already, maybe we don't want to see it ran back so immediately. Because when you're talking about Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier, it's not like those fights with Charles Oliveira were five-round wars that Charles Oliveira won by split decision. He absolutely dominated both of those men after being knocked down early in those fights. He showed a level of toughness that people were waiting to see if he'd gained throughout his career. I also want to make this point, DC, and you could tell me how it works for fighters and what's different when it comes to something like this. Charles Oliveira was on a phenomenal run. And if we think about the last two fights he had before Benil Dariush is this. And it reminded me when I looked at that picture we just had up of Charles Oliveira after his fight with Islam Mahatchev. He, he looked a little frumpy. He looked a little soft. If you remember, he lost his belt because he didn't make weight for Justin Gaethje. And now you go into the fight and lose to Islam Mahachev. Coming into this fight, he weighed in at 154, which is a pound under championship weight, which to me was a signal, right? To me, it was a sign. Like he said, I'm up early in the morning and late at night thinking about getting this belt back. I think when you kind of walk through some of the fires he did, D.C., When Michael Chandler has you down in the first round, Justin Gaethje, and you're fighting these bad men and they can't stop you, you can get a little complacent. You can start to feel yourself a little bit. And it seems like the loss to Islam Mahachev reignited something in Charles Oliveira that made him remember these other dudes are bad dudes too. And the reason I think he deserves the fight is, like, how fast are Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier going to be able to turn around if they have an absolute war and the winner be ready to fight Islam Mahachev in Abu Dhabi. And I just think, and I also kind of think it'll be foul, bro, just to be straight up with you. It'll be just yeah. wanting to get one of those names, one of those guys back mm-hmm. into the queue to have that fight against Islam. And a fan of the show, um, Jordan Anthony Clark, texted <laughs> me right after the fight and said, if Charles Oliveira Gets his belt back in the next fight. He's the greatest lightweight of all time.
0: No, no, no.
2: ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.
0: No. No. Hey, nephew. Nephew, I love how much nephew loves it. And Charles Oliveira has one hell of a resume. When you start really looking at his resume, he does have one hell of a resume. And look at that. As many people— John Annick put the thing and I can I'm kind of drawn I can't really see it it's a little far away from me but it looks yeah, like Char- Charles has what 40 40- Charles 46
1: 8%? Charles 46 Habib Nakamura metall 46 then it's BJ Penn at 7. And that's that's from the man John Anik, no that's from John yeah. Annick's
0: Twitter. Yeah 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 but here's the thing man like I I I love what Charles has done and I really do think that it deserves a lot of credit but and This is not me just saying. It's my teammate, right? I just think that to, to if there's anything that hurts Khabib Nurmagomedov's case is that the longevity wasn't there in terms of the title reign. But those same guys that Charles beat, he did beat, right? So it's not it's not that it's not that different. But yes, Charles is on a very short list of the greatest lightweights of all time, and I believe that the more he wins and the more he competes, the better it becomes for him, maybe at some point, staking claim to that yeah. distinction. But right now for me, it's still Habib Nurmagomedov. I'm sorry, you know, Doug, So, I mean, so
1: here, here's what I'll say about Charles Oliveira being the greatest lightweight. I don't believe he is now. I do believe at this point, it is Habib Nurmagomedov because of what comes after the dash for him with the zero. Yep. If Charles Oliveira is somehow able to win this belt from Islam Mahachev, I think it gives him something on his resume that Khabib Nurmagomedov doesn't have to beat a, a, a Habib disciple or, or teammate to come back and win a belt after losing it. I think all of that added to most submissions, most finishes in UFC history, all of those things, will lead to the, the discussion and the conversation that supports Charles Oliveira being the greatest lightweight of all time. But one thing that Charles Oliveira doesn't do often, which Islam Mahachev did make him do, was tap out. So right now, you know it's time for tap in or tap out.
3: Hi okay, guys, so. of, speaking of Charles Oliveira, he once again arrived looking his best. So that got us thinking, RC, tap in or tap out, Bronx is the flyest fighter in the UFC.
1: I can't say that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do my dog Uzman like that. And <laughs> I'm not going to do my guy uh, Israel Adesanya like that. And I'm certainly not going to do my boy Conor McGregor like that. Is Charles Oliveira clean? Absolutely. Is Charles Oliveira in the conversation? Absolutely. But when we talk about Kamaru, man, man, listen, I know <laughs> i messed with him about wearing the shorts with the double breasted with the chest out, but my boy be clean all the time. Hey. So right now I got Kamaru number 1.
0: That's clean right there. That white that white I got Kamaru you number clean. 1,
1: but Charles Oliveira is definitely in the conversation after
0: Kamaru Usman. And hey, my boy Kamara was cleaning that white thing he had on. I don't know what they call that, like a dashiki or something, you know? Like, that's some, shit, that's some stuff my mom and them used to try to wear whenever we'd have, like, uh, Kwanzaa month at church when I was growing up. And Kamara was looking clean
1: in that one. And that, that, ain't hey, gonna lie. that's that February, that's that February uh, outfit.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Black yeah, that's History Month. The, that's the Black History Month outfit he was wearing on that one. Boy, he was looking clean. Let me tell you something. I like Charlie Olive's outfits because it's very basic. I like basic, I like clean, I like sharp. I think Charlie Olive is in the conversation. Would I say he's number one? Conor McGregor still exists in the UFC, so I'm gonna have to say that Conor probably still reigns atop all that. Corporate Jake.
3: Okay, speaking of Conor, while at the Heat Nuggets game in Miami, Conor McGregor had an interaction with the Heat mascot. The mascot was later checked out of the hospital and released shortly thereafter. Dana White had comments about the incident Saturday night. What's up with mascots wanting to get punched in the face by professional fighters? What do you expect? You want to get punched? I mean, what are those mascot things made out of, uh, you know, unless you're like the Golden Knights mascot, <laughs> I wouldn't be, uh, I don't even know what the hell he wears, but I'm assuming it's a metal helmet. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have professional fighters punching me in the face if I was a mascot. And that- it doesn't seem like the brightest thing in the world. DC, you had your own run-in with an NBA mascot back in the day. So, DC, tap in or tap out, UFC fighters and mascots need to stop interacting.
0: <laughs> I don't know. We could we can could, we can could, we could continue to interact with the mascots, man. But you can't hit him that hard, Connor, Man, you gotta know better than that. do kind of hit him with a straight left. But what <laughs> killed him is the hey. What hey, killed him is the it was follow the up, up shot. It was that was the ground pound. That was the ground pound that killed him. Yes, Conor don't hit him with the follow-up shot. But Conor up there trying to sell some pain spray, so he doesn't let, he, he let the selling of the pain spray get the best of him. I tap out, man. You can mess with the mascots, but you got, you got to be a little better than that. But, I mean, we talk about Conor McGregor in South Beach, dude probably out there just hanging out, partying. Yeah, that's not a good combination. Hey, yeah, man,
1: I tap out on it as well. Right now, mascots and UFC fighters need to stay at least 10 feet away from one another. Corporate Jake.
3: All right, two former middleweight title challengers, Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannoneer, face off in the main event this weekend. RC, tap in or tap out. This is the last chance at a title run for either man.
1: I tap all the way in on that. When you think about these two men, Marvin Vittori has lost to Israel Adesanya at the top two times. Jared Cannoneer's fight, just wasn't very interesting nor competitive. So, these men not only need to win this fight, I believe they need big showings, especially as long as Izzy is the champion of the middleweight division.
0: I, I same thing, RC, I tap all the way in. And while Jared Cannonier wasn't quite Irene Aldana, he did freeze too in his biggest yep. moments. So, he's got to do something yep. big in order to warrant another opportunity to face the last style bender. And for Marvin Vittori. He's kind of in purgatory. He just cannot lose. He has to just win at every chance, and if he does that, maybe he'll get
3: another opportunity. Monday on ESPN's This Just In, Tiafimo Lopez announced his retirement at the young age of 25. This comes just after he became a two-division champion over the weekend. DC, tap in or tap out on Tiafimo calling it a career?
0: I tap out because it's not true. Tiafimo just had one of the greatest performances of his career. He's (laughs) going to be back. This is a money play, right? As was Henry Cejudo's money play. Like, it's a money play. You're 25 years old, man. Keep making your money as you can because you don't know if somebody's going to bite. Look at what happened to Henry, right? Henry left, made the money play. When he had to come back, whether it was for legacy or for money, the money's still the same, but now you got a more dominant champion. Don't play with fire, man. I don't believe it. I tap out.
1: Yeah, I tap out. And you also got to think about what... At least that weight class and weight classes close to him look like the Secure Stevenson's, the the Devin Haney's, the, the 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 Tank Davis's. Like, there's a lot of fights there that make sense and can make a ton of money. So I tap all the way out, Corporate Jake. All right, guys. Last hey, wait,
0: one. wait, wait, wait. RC, did you see? Did you see? Uh, did you see him go to Devin Haney? Uh, victory parade the other Sandra- day. Sign the contract. He and said he sent, dude, to, he sent dude, him the bottles. Sign the contract. <laughs> Sign the contract. Send him a bottle. Like, let's go. All
3: right, guys. Last, last one. During Media Day last week, Jim Miller had an interesting take on a question regarding a UFC flyweight and an NFL linebacker. Take a listen. Who wins in a fight? A, Uf- a UFC flyweight or an NFL linebacker? <laughs> uh. I, I'm probably I'm probably going to go with the UFC flyweight, honestly. Um, you know, just uh, more ways to win. So, R.C., tap in or tap out, a UFC flyweight would defeat an NFL linebacker.
1: I'm just not – I can't just tap in on this. Like, <laughs> you got to remember, bro, this is a street fight. And how is it starting? Are we face-to-face I'm when boy, it starts? Can I grab you? Like, what's around us? So, no, I I tap out on this. I tap all the way. And you pick Fred
2: Warner? Fred
1: Fred Warner. Warner.
2: Fred Fred Warner. Sideline to sideline
1: Fred. Please, man. No, I tap out. Jim, stop.
0: Stop, Jim. R.C., Fred Warner. Fred Warner is a dog. I'm going to tell you that. He's a dog, and I don't like the Niners. But Fred Warner's a dog. He's a great athlete. But I will tell you this. I have been in there with professional football players. And they don't last very long. So, if you could limit the damage for the first minute, I'm taking Brandon Moreno. So, yeah, I'm taking this, the UFC fly Because yeah, I believe, was, I swear, RC, I believe that when he grabs him, when he grabs him, he's going to throw him down, he's going to slam him, he's going to do all kinds of big things to him. But all that's going to do is blow up that, la- that lactic acid, arms going to get tired, fatigue, moving all that weight around over. I'm telling you, they get same. tired. I'm, I'm not talking about... See,
1: here's what happens. Y'all y'all want everybody to come to the Octagon. Oh, come <laughs> to the Octagon. The Octagon's such a great place. Everybody, no, I'm talking about they fighting on
0: Bourbon Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's different. But then, that's but different that's the thing, though, right, RC? Are they stopping them after 30 seconds? Because the average street fight lasts about 30 seconds. And that's after 30 me. seconds, everybody's exhausted. <laughs> that's everybody's that's exhausted.
1: DC, speaking of exhausted... It seems that people are exhausted with your Hall of Fame take on Jim bro. Miller. Why do you continue to hate on everybody,
0: D.C.? No, bro, it's not you said it's,
1: oh. You said that Jim Miller, with all of the accolades that he has accomplished as far as it pertains to wins and number of fights within the UFC, is not a Hall of Famer. I will say this. This is what you get to do that I don't get to do. I'm not in any Hall of Fames, DC. I'm not even in Archbishop Shaw Hall of Fame. So I don't get to pick. But explain, at least further explain why you feel Jim Miller isn't a Hall of Famer.
0: Okay. So, and I I I I told myself I wouldn't do that this week, but like people are still on me, bro. Everybody's so mad at me. I can see the other side. I was just talking to my friend Tom Jerbasi. He actually has a vote in the Boxing Hall of Fame. And when I asked him, he said yes. For me, Jim Miller would get in. He said because of how he made you feel. It's not just mm. about the accomplishments, mm. right? Like he said. Mm. So when people, he said, when they put in Arturo Gatti, everybody was mad. He goes, but sometimes you go on a Monday and they might not talk about Floyd fight. They might talk about Arturo fight. But mm-hmm. here's my deal, RC. I'm not saying that. So here's the deal. Jim Miller never was in the top five. He's never in the top ten. And I love Jim Miller. I love everything, his accomplishment. But, bro, at one point, Cowboy Cerrone, who, by the way, I don't believe should be in the Hall of Fame, was okay. the all-time wins leader. Okay. And Andrei Arlovsky, at one point, was the all-time wins leader. He will be in the Hall of Fame. But in his all-time wins, his longevity, also coupled with his championship and all that, that puts him in. I don't hate Jim, but Jim has a record that at some point can be broken. And then here's another thing, Ryan. Israel Adesanya, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, Jermaine uh, Sterling, those guys will never hold the wins record. You want to know why? Because yeah, I they're fighting fightin the low. best of the best. They're fighting the best of the best. And when you're fighting the best, guys, you can't turn around and fight four or five times a year. You can only fight three times a year max You can't do that. Sometimes you're too good to hold certain records. So that's what I mean. Like, Jim's not fighting Henry Cejudo and then Sean O'Malley and then Piotr Jan. And it's just not not the same. And it's unfortunate that I am on this side of the debate, but they ain't changing my mind. There is a world in which he does get in. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I had to know from the person that decides who goes in. I know the answer. I'm just not willing to share it.
1: So I will, I will say this, D.C., as we close the show. I think that your argument or that your point of view is extremely valid. But much like what happens with the NFL Hall of Fame, you start getting compared to other people that have gotten into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And as you say that Cowboy Cerrone doesn't belong, the point is he's going he to going be— in a Hall of Famer. And so now the next conversation will be, well, if Cowboy Cerrone is in, why wouldn't Jim Miller be in? People don't get in just based on their individual argument. It's about who else is in the Hall of Fame. And I think that's why Jim Miller eventually gets in. But I agree with a ton of the points that you made.
0: But now, and then so then Joe Lozan does too, and yeah. all these other dudes like that. Do and it, it wardens the de- like down. Deon, like de- but like Dion said... Hey, put them in the hall of fame, but give them a different color jacket. Like that's just that's just the case, right? You want to put them in the hall of fame, give them a different hey, color jacket. DC, you saying, in that no. hall.
1: You in the hall over there. <laughs> you the we one. Appreciate in the back. you guys tapping in with us again. New episodes every Tuesday on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Also on ESPN2 tuesday night 12 a.m we appreciate you guys i'm rc that's my dog dc and he is in the hall of fame and there is no arguing that